<laughs> okay, good. Good answer. Okay, so now if you can find in your notes uh, that last message, fulfilling your general assignment as a wife. Now, fellas, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just, you know, check out here because you will be able to learn, uh, I think, quite a bit about your uh, assignment as well, because, you know, since God is the one that did this, you got to understand that he's giving you this because he's given her this. And what he wants is for it to come together and you be one flesh. That's not just talking about physical oneness, but oneness, even when it comes down to fulfilling our roles, fulfilling our assignment. And the, the first thing that I want you ladies to see about your assignment, okay, so in contrast with your husband, remember his first responsibility was that he was a gardener. And the first responsibility that you have is a wife is a guardian, a guardian. And we'll explain that, certainly. But I, I alluded to it when we were talking uh, about the men uh, in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Okay, now, now listen. The context is actually talking about the aged women. Okay, so with that in mind, that they, okay, the aged women may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, and here it comes now, keepers at home. And this aspect, this is in your notes, this aspect of your assignment concerns your priority. And Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, I think, makes it very clear that your priority is your home. In other words, your home is your base of operations for fulfilling your biblical responsibilities to your family, beginning, of course, with your husband. And, and I want you to notice here that this, this passage lets us know that this is something that must be taught to the young women by the aged women. In other words, those who have enough years behind them to see what they did right. And you know where I'm going, right? And to see enough years to know what they did wrong. And so they, you know, they're at a point in life where they see a young woman heading off through life, and so that every generation doesn't have to learn the hard way and finally get to the end of your life and go, if I had it all to do over, I'd do it different. Well, what God says is, why don't you take that experience, the good and the bad, and use it to invest in young women. Wow. That, that just seems like that ought to be the biggest no-brainer in the history of Earth. But I want, you to, I want you to notice the verbal exclamation point that God puts on this thing at the end of verse 5. He says, aged women, do this, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Have you ever seen that? 
so that another generation of women don't lose their way out there and don't bear the fruit that God intended for them to bear and end up blaspheming (laughs) the Word of God. Okay, what would you think of me, ladies, if I said, okay, I'm going to hold the Word of God up, and why don't you ladies just stand up and curse your head off at this book? God says, I I want the aged women to teach the younger women, and I want the younger women to submit to the teaching of the older women, so that this precious book doesn't end up getting blasphemed. Wow, that's, that's strong. Okay, now, let's talk for a second. This is letter A. Let's talk about the extremes of Titus chapter 2 and verse 5. Okay, now I I realize that in the 21st century, I'm kind of treading on some weird ground when it comes to this thing of being keepers at home. And what makes it weird ground, of course, is because everybody in this room already has an opinion about what that means. Okay, In your notes, some have a strong belief that it's okay for wives to work outside the home. And then next, some have a strong belief that it's wrong for wives to work outside of the home. And so the way that it typically shakes out is everybody in the room is anxiously awaiting to see if if what I think is right. And of course, right means that I agree with your view. And so I want to say right from the get-go, I mentioned this in one of the sessions yesterday, let's make sure that we're all reminded that our view, our opinion, what we think is really insignificant. What is significant is what God thinks. Okay, so the way that we better approach this is we better make sure that we find out what God's opinion is and adopt God's opinion as our opinion. <laughs> Amen? Okay, so now, now if, if, if I don't do the Word of God justice here, kick what I'm saying to the curb. Okay, but what we're going to try to do is just like we've done for the last two days now is talk about a biblical principle and then let's just go search the scripture and let's just see what the scripture has to say and hopefully without my little preacherly slant thrown on it. Okay, then so what I want us to do is I want us to look at the emphasis. This is letter B, the emphasis of Titus 2.5. This is a church you guys have graciously been coming out on Wednesday night learning the keys of Bible study. And one of the things that you're going to be seeing as we move on, I don't think we've hit this yet. You know, I, I, I can't keep track where all of these little things come in. But one of the key principles of Bible study is learning to emphasize what God emphasizes. Okay, any time I'm hearing a pastor and every sermon he ends up 
emphasizing something. I, I'm, th that's whack. <laughs> because the, the Bible doesn't do that. Okay, it covers a lot of subjects. And now, if he if he's harping on holiness, let let's just let him run with that. Okay, but but if he's harping on some other kind of off the beaten path thing, you know, again, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, you you. You hear charismatics preach, can they preach a message without talking about gifts? You know, I, I, I'm, that in itself shows me that's whack. <laughs> uh, can a Calvinist preach a message without throwing it in three times? And that alone lets me know that's whack. <laughs> okay, and in our independent world, there's a lot of things that get brought up all the time that get emphasized that you go, really? Why does that keep coming up? Okay, so let's just make sure that we catch the emphasis of Titus 2.5. And notice Titus 2.5 isn't a negative command about what a wife cannot or should not do outside the home. It is a positive command about what a wife is to be and do inside the home. Wow. Think about that for a second. Because that's what the verse is emphasizing here. It's not a neg there's no negative there. And, and so when we read the negative in, we better make sure that we're, we're doing that because of the principle of comparing Scripture with Scripture. And, and as we begin to run this through the Word of God. Okay, so this is letter C, the explanation of Titus 2.5. And I want you to notice what God doesn't say. He doesn't say that a wife is forbidden at any time in her married life to have a job outside the home. <laughs> Did anybody see that in there? Okay, and because God doesn't say that, I'm certainly not going to say that. And so someone might be concluding way too early. Oh, so you're saying she can. She can work outside the home. No, because it doesn't say that either. Again, so we've got to make sure that we emphasize what God emphasizes. So notice in this verse what God does say because what he says is that when it comes to the home, the wife is the one who has been given the assignment of being its keeper. Okay? And before some of you ladies go bonkers about that very thought, <gasps> keeper! Okay? Let's talk next, letter D, about the problem with our cultural definitions and understanding of the word keeper. <laughs> okay, you see, culturally, we hear the word keeper, and we're thinking about a knock on our hotel door, housekeeping! Okay, uh, this is in your notes. We, we tend to think of a housekeeper uh, as someone who performs a menial task for a minimum wage. And, and so, listen, don't allow cultural definitions and understandings to cloud your thinking about the word because biblically keeper 
is more the idea of someone being entrusted with the important task of being a keeper as in a keeper of a prison. And I'm not likening that to your home. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of like this. So what do you do? Oh, I clean rooms at the hotel. Or I'm the keeper of the penitentiary down the street. Okay. In our cultural mind, we'd be going, oh, ooh, wow, you've got you a major job. That's some incredible responsibility right there. Uh, okay. So if, if we're going to understand this verse, we, we can't use cultural definitions. We can't employ human reasoning. We're going to have to employ that very basic key of Bible study that you have already learned that you hear me emphasizing in a big way. First Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 through 13. Those of you that may not be working through the keys of Bible study, let me just say this. What First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says is that eye hath not seen and nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And though many times, don't anybody say amen here because I'm getting ready to just smash this. Many times in our independent circles, uh, a guy will read 1 Corinthians 2.9 and go off for the next 45 minutes about how wonderful heaven is going to be. And the fact of the matter is, you couldn't find heaven anywhere within six chapters in either direction with a spotlight, a stick of dynamite, and a pitchfork. <laughs> what he's talking about in this chapter is the wisdom of God that is revealed in his book. And he's saying, listen, your human eyes can't see it. Your human ears can't hear it. Your mind can't conceive of this. And it would ruin our sermon if, if, if we read verse 10, because of what verse 10 says, but the Spirit has revealed it to us. Okay, He's reveal, He reveals His wisdom. And, and again, through this passage, what He lets us know is that the Spirit has a very prescribed method that He uses when He reveals His truth to us. And the Spirit-given, Spirit-driven method of revealing the truth is as we compare things spiritual with things spiritual. You know, you, some of you that are new here may go, oh, there's too many cross-references for me. Well, uh, I, I, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, listen, the, the reason that I do PowerPoint, not is because it's cool, but so that we can work through comparing Scripture with Scripture, because that's the Spirit-given method for revealing His truth. It's not what I say. It's what He says. And He, he reveals it while as we use that method uh, of doing it. So, why don't we do the keepers at home thing, and why don't we compare Scripture with Scripture? So maybe the Spirit of God can reveal to us so I don't have to put my cheesy little pastorly slant on it. 
Okay, so letter E, what we learn about Titus 2.5 as we compare Scripture with Scripture. And one of the key cross-references that we pick up is found in Proverbs 31 and verse 27, and it's in the statement, she looketh well to the ways of her household. And, and let me just take a second to show you what I mean. No, notice this statement is found in the context of God describing for us in Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. And if you'll notice in Proverbs 31 and verse 1, it, it says the words, and this is on the screen, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. And King Lemuel is actually Solomon, and what he's about to do is he's about to share with us what his my mama told me, what his mama told him <laughs> about finding a virtuous woman. And one of the things that she teaches him is found in Proverbs 31, verse 27. Solomon's mama said, okay, here's how you'll know her. She looketh well to the ways of her household. And listen, it's not the idea of, hey girl, you be looking fine. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. Notice that it doesn't say she looketh well to the people of her household, but what? She looketh well to the ways of her household. And what God's trying to get us to see here is that there is a way that the home ought to function. Something interesting about this little phrase, looketh well, it's most often translated watchman. Okay, and that's why I was saying earlier that the word is kind of like the keeper of the prison more than the, you know, the <laughs> keeper of the hotel room. Okay? And, and Solomon would have understood exactly what his mama meant because, you see, in his days, guards or watchmen were posted on the walls that went around the city, and on those walls there were towers, and you know what you called the people, what they were doing that were in those towers? They were on guard, okay? And they would be constantly, when they were on guard, they'd be constantly looking to and fro for some kind of suspicious activity, looking to see the direction from which the enemy was approaching and on what front so that they could alert the king. And I assure you, those watchmen or those guardians wouldn't have taken their job lightly because, listen, people's lives within the city were dependent on how they did their job. Amen. And ladies, it's exactly the same way with you. If you can view this, the lives of precious people are in your house. The lives of the most precious people on this planet to you are at stake, and they're dependent on you to fulfill your assignment as the guardian. And what I want you to see, that we learn from, from this cross-reference as, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, 
this is in your notes, what a watchman is to a city, you are to your family. Listen, you are, you are a keeper. You are a watchman. You are the one that is set to keep watch, and your assignment is unbelievably significant because there are precious lives that are at stake. I think this might be saying that you need to be a keeper at home that the word of God be not blasphemed so that the enemy doesn't come and take advantage of that precious commodity that is in your home. But back in, in Solomon's day, man, can you imagine a city with no guardian, no watchman, no keeper to alert the king of concerning the enemy or the, the attack of the adversary? And, and I say to you ladies, listen, if you could just get a mental image of this, that every single day of your life, the enemy is seeking to attack your household. And you are the watchman. You are the keeper. You are the guardian. So I, I, I think that you can see as we begin to compare Scripture with Scripture, keeper at home begins to take on a, a whole new definition. And let me take you to another one. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 3 says, In the day when the keepers of the house, the keepers of the house, you hearing that? This is... The, the, this, this is one of the reasons that I'm a King James guy <laughs> because of the icons that God has put in His Word so that we can compare Scripture with Scripture. It's crazy. The way that the, the inconsistency in the other versions with, with the words, there's no way to compare Scripture with Scripture because the words are all different. Man, here, he's talking about the keepers of the house. How, I mean, how could we miss this cross-reference, man? In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and here the keepers of the house, in its context, and again, I, I, we don't have time to teach Ecclesiastes 12, but he's talking about growing old, and he's working through parts of our anatomy. He's talking about when the grinders shall cease. In other words, when your teeth are falling out. And, you know, he's just working through all of the anatomy. And the keepers of the house are the hands. And when we're talking about the keeper of the city, we saw that what a guardian or a watchman is to a city, a wife is to her family. And here what we find is what the hands are to the body. Ladies, you are to your family. In other words, a home without a keeper is like a person without hands. Because you see, the, the hands, if you just think about it now, okay, God's given us a brain to think about these hands. The hands afford the body protection. Listen, if a dog is running after you when you come out of this building today, you know what, as he's reaching up to bite your thigh, you know what you're going to do? Bam! 
you're going to stiff arm that thing and you're going to use that, that hand to, to keep the predators away. And may I say to you that what we learn about being keepers at home as we compare Scripture with Scripture is that a wife affords protection to the home that no one else can provide. Next, hands afford the body provision. And may I say to you, a wife affords provision for the home that no one else can produce. Remember we talked yesterday about that, that word in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 about how a nursing mother cherisheth or keeps warm. And she does that with her left hand under that little baby's head and with her right hand she embraces that little child okay and there's provision that's happening right there with that little life a wife affords provision for the home that no one else can produce and then next hands afford the body preparation. And again, may I say to you, a wife affords preparation for the home that no one else can procure or bring about. No one but you ladies can make your house a home that your husband wants to come home to. And one of your, your husband's responsibilities, I talked about this earlier, according to 1 Timothy 5.8, your husband's responsibility is to provide for you goes in your home, and then he comes back to your home. And it's here where he is energized to fulfill his other responsibilities to you and to your children. And again, it's this place of refuge where a man, he's laboring to take care of his family lest he be worse than an infidel. And he comes back into this retreat and he's got all other kinds of responsibilities. There's Providing for his family is just one of seven biblical responsibilities that a husband has. And he's got seven responsibilities to his kids Again, all of that precious commodity that's in your home. And, and, and the idea here is, man, you are preparing this place to be that place where he fulfills his other responsibilities. The key quote here, if we choose not to do this very special job, it will simply not get done. The mothering, the nurturing, the comforting, and caring that fills the committed homemaker's day will simply be lost, and society will be impoverished. Children will not get the spiritual guidance they need. Lonely teenagers will not be listened to. Many people with problems will not be ministered to. Many sick folk will go unvisited. A special human quality will disappear from our culture. Women can give up their jobs as clerks, engineers, salespeople, doctors. Other people will step in and the world will go on as smoothly as before. It'll be business as usual. The grocery stores will still be sold, or groceries will still be sold. Truck loaded, uh, trucks loaded with merchandise will still roll across our highways and Wall Street will carry on. Not so with homemaking. 
We are the special people into whose hands the country and the world have been entrusted. When we leave this job, the world does not go on as before. It falters and begins to lose its way. We homemakers are indispensable. And the key point is one of Satan's key strategies against the family is to entice women to find their fulfillment outside the home. Okay, and, and, and again, I, I, I don't want you to read in any, any slant on that whatsoever. All I'm trying to do, I, yeah, I, I, I brought in a key quote to, to just get you to realize that this is not just some minor little task that you have, have been given to be that keeper at home, that an older woman who's done a lot of things right and probably missed the mark on some things can sit down and say, you know what, if I had it all to do over again, I'd view that home differently. And all I'm saying to you is fulfill your role as a guardian of your home, realizing your husband has not been given that role. This was given to the ladies. And so you do what God leads you to do on that. And we're not going to create some legalistic box that every woman has to jump in. And we're not going to judge other women that maybe have a different thing that they're doing at a period of time in their life and God may well be okay with it. <laughs> Again, it, it just comes down to you though. You just make sure that you understand that part of your assignment as a woman is to be a guardian for that home. Okay, then secondly, okay, so the, the husband is a gardener and the wife is a guardian. Okay, and in that same way, we looked at a husband as a picture. That's number two. The wife is a picture. Okay, this aspect of your assignment concerns your identity. Okay, and we, we saw husbands are a picture of Christ. And, and ladies, you, you, you heard me when I was covering this with the men. I was laying out what I think is some very strong teaching about God, what He says about messing up the picture and how their prayers will be hindered. I've mentioned several times, 1 Timothy 5, 8, God tells men that if they mess up the picture by not providing for their family, it makes them worse than an infidel. And God is just as strong on this thing of husbands being a picture of Christ, he's just as strong with you ladies to get you to see that you are a picture of the church. And that's exactly what he spells out in Ephesians 5, 22 and uh, 23 and 24, where he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Okay, here's how you, you do that. As unto the Lord. Okay, those of you that are going through the keys of Bible study, have we already gotten to the, that? The two most important words in the Bible? Okay, you'll get to it. 
two most important words in the Bible, as you're about to learn, are the word like and as. Because God, who is the greatest teacher, trying to teach us, takes concepts and principles that he knows are difficult for us to get our head wrapped around, and he likens them to something that he knows that we do get. And he says, okay, so you get this? Okay, well, this is as this. Okay, and so, you know, a lot of women have a a difficult time, and, and rightly so getting their head wrapped around, submit yourself to your own husband. Well, how do I do that? Mm. Well, okay, so you know how you, on a daily basis, submit yourself to the Lord? Okay, well, this is as that. Yikes. (laughs) And here's the reason, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And, and again, you know, sometimes in that independent world, man, you know, I, I, got, I got saved as a 16-year-old. I heard some of the craziest trash being taught from the pulpit. Man, you beat a head of your hat. No. And, you know, he's foaming at the mouth and talking about, you know, this, this is the, the, the way that it sometimes, and I'm like, for real? Is that the way this is supposed to work? Oh, oh he's supposed to be the head as Christ is the head of the church. And you know how he treats us, right? Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> Isn't it interesting what you can learn from the little word as? (laughs) And he is the savior of the body. Not the one that's making sure he keeps us under his thumb. He is the head that assesses the needs and does whatever is necessary to meet them. Okay, husbands, you're the head, like Christ is the head. Hello. Okay, I, I, I'm not trying to diminish the concept of submission. It's, it's biblical, okay? I'm trying to just put it all in, in perspective here. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything that they want. Or, or, I mean, in everything. <laughs> okay, and, and as we, we've talked about, the interesting thing in this passage is as he continues to teach husbands and wives, after coming through this whole passage, he comes to verse 32 and he says, again, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, and God wants to make sure that we don't miss it. Husbands picture Christ, and wives picture the church. And so, okay, this is in your notes, ladies, what that means is that if you're going to understand your assignment as a wife, you must understand some things about the church. Okay, and again, this is this is where this comparing scripture with scripture thing gets so beautiful. Is God telegraphs things like that? You remember what we did yesterday with with. 
talking about our communication with Christ. And so what we did is we just, we just looked at what our husband has done and the invitation that he's given to us. And man, we, we learned this incredible thing as men that, that we are to be to our wives. Okay, so ladies, if you're a picture of the church, then we ought to be able to go to the Bible and let the Bible teach us some things about the church that we can apply to our lives because you are to do your assignment in, in this passage as the church does the, to Christ. And again, we just breeze right over that, never even stop to think that maybe we should use that as a way to compare Scripture with Scripture. And so since we've not done that, why don't we, why don't we do that now? Okay? So work with me, ladies. This is, like I said to the men, we're going to set this up. This is letter A. Let's talk, first of all, about the identity of the church. Now let me ask you, what happened to us when we called upon Christ's name? Okay, and what, what actually happened when he made us a part of this thing that is called the church? Okay, what happened to us? Well, let's first of all, let's talk about our name. Ladies, do you realize that the day you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, do you realize in terms of your identity, it changed? Because first of all, your name changed. Acts 11 and verse 26 says that now, after receiving Christ, we are called Christians. We are called Christ's ones. Christ-like ones. We took His name. We, we, we have a new identity. I, I, I mentioned yesterday, I was, I was saved as a sophomore in high school. And I, I, you know, before I knew it, man, everybody had heard about that. Hey, did you hear Trotter became a Christian? And all of a sudden, I had an identity that I had never had before. My name got associated with Christ's name. Wow. James 2.7 talks about that worthy name, listen to this, by which ye are called. <laughs> wow. Again, we've taken his name and our whole identity changed because we took his name. We're called by His name now. Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is what? Is, is named. So, first of all, in terms of our identity, our name changed. Then secondly, let's talk about our separation. Okay, now we're just laying down some pieces, y'all. We'll come after this again. Let's, secondly, let's talk about our separation. 
See, in our lost state, when we were totally immersed and engulfed in this world's system, what 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 says is that Satan, the god of this world, had taken this world system of evil and he used it as a snare. He used it as a trap to keep us bound in his family, in his domain, in his kingdom. And what happened to us, glory to God, is that he translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And he separated us. He sanctified us us. We were separated in our lost condition from God unto the world, and now we have been separated from the world unto God. Isn't that what Christianity is? And he talks about that in Ephesians 5.26. In verse 25, he says, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might, what? That he might sanctify it. He set us apart. He separated us from the world unto himself. So listen, the day we called upon the Lord Jesus Christ and he made us a part of his church, Something happened in terms of our identity. Our name changed. We took His name. And something happened in terms of our separation. We were set apart from the world to Christ. And then thirdly, something also happened to our body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Say what? (laughs) That's in the Greek. Say what? (laughs) Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So listen, thirdly, the day we became a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you know what happened to us? This body that we had been living in all of those years was no longer ours. It became His. And not only our body, but number four, our life. I mentioned this yesterday. You know what the book of Colossians says? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of of the earth. Next verse, verse 3, For ye are dead. Present tense. Ye are dead. That's all of us who are saved, man. We're dead. And your life is hid with Christ. In God, when Christ, here it is, who is our life. Do you see that? Do you realize that when you got saved, you lost your life? Second Corinthians 
says, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now listen, that's what it means to be a part of the church. Okay, now, and if you've forgotten why it is that we're doing all of that, okay, in your assignment as a wife, you are a picture of the church. Okay? And so what we've seen, that what happened to us when we were espoused to our one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our name changed. We were separated from the world unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Our body is no longer our own. It's the Lord's now. And even our life. Here's our life. Our life is hid with Christ in God. Yes. (laughs) And well, we should. Okay. Now, we all understand how that plays out for the church, right? Okay. And those four things we just talked about that happened to us when we became a part of His church, we... We look at all of those four things, and we think those are the greatest things in the world. In fact, as I was going through, a good portion of you folks were amen in that, man. Hallelujah for that incredible truth. That's awesome. Nobody looked at any of that as something whack. We look at it as something beautiful. Okay, and the truth is most... Christian ladies, if you've been saved for any length of time at all, know that as a wife, you're a picture of the church. The only problem is most women have never really taken the time to look at what God says about the church to learn what they need to learn about their assignment as a wife to see what it is that you're actually picturing. (laughs) Okay, it's one thing to know you're a picture. But what in the world are you supposed to be picturing? Well, you're supposed to picture the church. Okay, so let's see if we can connect the dots. Okay, we've talked about the identity of the church. Now let's talk about the identity of the wife. And number one, let's talk about your name for a second. Okay, what's kind of crazy is you came to an altar one day and you walked into a room, most of you probably it was a church, and when you walked into that room, you had a certain name by which you had been identified all of your life, but by the time it was all said and done, when you walked out of that room, your identity changed. And check it out. Your identity changed because you were now called by a different name. You had the name of your husband. Does that sound like anything you've heard before? Have you ever seen Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2? This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called 
their name Adam in the day that they were created. Did, did you, you know, we always talk about, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, yeah, they were both there, but do you realize Eve didn't get her name until after the fall? Up to that time, in God's perfect environment, the way that he designed for it to function is, can I say it? Her identity was wrapped up in her man. God called their name Adam. But you know what happened? Okay, in Genesis 3, the woman, and again, I'm not being an idiot. I'm just telling you what happened. The woman stepped out of her assignment. Because you see, God had given her a husband who was her provider. And Genesis 3, 6 says that she took of the fruit thereof and she gave also unto her husband. Who's providing here? <laughs> and he did eat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she, she left her identity that God had intended for her, her and the whole thing went kaputz. And God comes down in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. And he holds a little powwow after this happens. And he's got the serpent there, he's got the man there, and he's got the womb man there. And, and what he does in this passage, we, for time's sake we won't read it, but he spells out what this curse is going to mean for each of them. And he comes down to verse 20. And again, this is after the curse now. And for the first time in their marriage, verse 20 says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Now listen, until sin entered the picture, the woman's identity was so found in her husband that she actually had his name. And part of the curse was that she would continue to find her identity apart from him. Do you see that? She's got her own identity now. She got what she wanted and lost what she had. <laughs> we come to the New Testament, and God has all kinds of things to say to us about our responsibilities, okay? Do you know what all of that stuff is? All that New Testament instruction? All that New Testament instruction is how we actually reverse the curse. Most Christians live under the domination of the curse. Even though we live in a different dispensation, but it's because women aren't applying what the scripture says to them about how to reverse the curse. But if you miss that there was a curse that came upon marriage back in Genesis chapter 3, it, 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 you know what it says? It, I, this is, I don't think, going to be in your notes. I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself. But in that whole curse thing, God says to Eve, and your desire shall be to your husband. 
and he shall rule over you. It's no longer going to be that loving headship that he's going to provide. And you're not going to want him to lead you. Your desire is going to, the same desire you had that made you eat that fruit is going to be a desire that you're going to have to lead your husband. And when it's all said and done, no matter how much you think you're leading, there's going to come a day when you find out he will rule over you. It's just a matter of time. It's When you live in the flesh, when we live in the flesh, we live under the domination of the curse that comes upon marriage, and we got a New Testament manual that says, here's how you reverse all that. Amen. And when we don't, okay, brace for impact. <laughs> okay, so now, now, now that... Now that you ladies are saved, just like the church, do it like the church. He's giving you an illustration. Just like the church finds its identity in the name of its husband, God intends for you to picture that to your children and to the world by finding your identity in your husband. That's why God intended for you to take his name because you're a picture of the church. Now, I, 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 I know you took your husband's name, but I, I think the question you ladies might want to ask your, yourself is, am I picturing that my identity is actually in him? Yeah, I, I try to listen to what I'm saying, to, you know, because I, I realize I, I, I've got to look you guys in the eye in just a minute and we shake hands and you guys act like you like this. <laughs> um, I, I didn't invent this. I think that women should be a picture of the church. If I did, Ooh, I'd be scared of y'all in just a little while. I didn't. Th I didn't dream it up. Okay. All, all, all I'm. All I know is, he clearly says, "You ladies are a picture of the church." When we go and find out, what does that mean? Okay. Well, we all absolutely love the fact that we are a Christian now. God says, "Man, picture that." to your kids. Not, not just because of your name, but because of what that entails, what that actually means. Let, 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 me, let me show you the next thing. See, the, the way this shakes out, your husband asked you to marry him. And, and when you stood at that altar that day, he was, he was saying, I choose you to be my bride. And today, I'm separating you from every other man in the world so you can be connected to me. So let's talk about, number two, your separation as a wife. Remember, Ephesians 5.26 says, The reason Christ gave himself for us is that he might 
sanctify us or separate us from the world unto himself. You remember that? Okay, well, listen, that's what happened when you married your husband. You were separated from all the other men in the world so you could be joined to your husband to become one flesh. And listen, the way that you live your life as a wife should picture that. So it also affects, number three, your body. And 1 Corinthians 7, 4 says that in your marriage, just like in your marriage to Christ, your body is no longer your own. It's your husband's. 1 Corinthians 7, 4, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband and, and even that, okay, even your physical relationship with your husband is to be a picture of the church and the intimacy that God intends for the relationship of the church and what it has in that relationship with Christ. And not only your body, but your life. Remember, ladies, again, you're a picture of the church, and that's what your relationship with your husband is to picture, and just like the church, just like we looked at in Colossians 3.3, your life is to be hid in your husband because your identity is now found in him. Why? <laughs> Again, because you're a picture of the church. And, and I get it. I know that I'm a man. But listen, this has nothing to do with me being a man and trying to ooh, lord over the women. It has everything to do with the Bible. And I put as kind of a warning, one of Satan's key strategies against the family is to entice women to find their identity apart from their husband. And ladies, the culture is screaming to you to do just that. In fact, for you to do, <laughs> at this point in the 21st century, to, for you to do what the Bible says, this culture will tell you that you are wasting your life. And God says it is the greatest use of your life. He wants, oh man, if you could grab this, ladies. What he wants to do is he wants to use your life to show your kids what life is all about in terms of knowing Christ. And the fact that we find our identity in him. Remember that silly little illustration that I used for the men about the Truman Show? Okay, well, let, let me just turn the table here on you. Okay, so ladies, God knows, says, okay, when it comes to your kids and when it comes to all the lost people around you, you can no longer use the Bible. You can no longer quote scripture 
just hand them the DVD of the last year of your life and just say, listen, if you want to know what it is to be a Christian, watch how I respond to my husband. So the wife is a, a guardian. Man, that's a big responsibility. Your wife is a picture. And then number three, the wife is a bride. And, and this aspect of your assignment concerns your beauty. Your beauty. And, and okay, if you're going to be a, a bride, okay, one of the things that you want to do on that day is you want to seek to be as beautiful as you can possibly be. I got to tell you, I've done a lot of weddings through the years and, you know, I've run, run them through all the counseling and everything. Sometimes I get to that wedding and I'm like, oh, yes. I, I want to say, if you could look like that, you should look like that. <laughs> I mean, woo! It's just crazy. That's her day, man. I mean, if there's ever a day that you're going to be beautiful, I mean, this is, man, this is the, the day. I mean, what bride wouldn't seek to do that? And again, you don't have to tell a bride, hey, now you want to look really pretty on this day. Man, it's just, it's, it, you're, you're big on that. And it's all about the shoes. <laughs> and it's all about the dress. And it's all about the makeup. Okay, well, when it comes to the bride of Christ, God's pretty big on this thing too. Let's talk for a second about letter A, your gloriousness. Your gloriousness. Ephesians 5.27 says that the reason that Christ gave himself for the church is, watch verse 27, that he might present it to himself. A drop-dead, glorious bride. <laughs> A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. <laughs> any, any of you ladies on your wedding day get all... You make up just right, and you dress just right, and say, hey, can you go get me a Whopper? <laughs> Would you think of eating a Whopper in your wedding dress with all that Whopper juice dropping down? <laughs> Stank. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> Whoppers smell like B.O., don't they? <laughs> Just put it in your ride, man, and, and don't know that, that there's a whopper in there. You like. <laughs> you wouldn't think of doing that because, man, you want to be without spot or rankle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Listen, as the church, every single day, the Lord Jesus Christ is working in us to make us glorious, a glorious bride. That's what he wants of us. He wants us 
in, as his bride. He wants us to be glorious. He wants us to be drop dead glorious or gorgeous. <laughs> Revelation 19.7 says, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and listen to this, and his wife hath made herself ready. Do you understand? That's what we're doing down here, y'all. We're getting ourselves ready to be presented to Christ as our husband. And you know what? God tells us that as the church, the bride of Christ, that's what we are doing right now. We're making ourselves ready for our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. At his coming, just like the bride prepares herself for the groom, we are preparing ourselves to be presented to Christ at the rapture of the church in all of our glory. But you got to understand that our gloriousness as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or as his bride has nothing to do with our physical beauty. He's not talking about us going to great lengths to make the outside of us all glorious. Listen, y'all, he's talking about the inside. <laughs> Which leads us to the next point. Our adoring, or your adorning as a, a, a bride. This is letter B, your adorning. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 says of you wives... Who's adorning? Let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Ladies, because you are a bride to your husband, and as such, picture the bride of Christ. Listen, I, I would say to you, and, and I'm, I'm not being facetious when I, I say that. Listen, from an outward perspective, do the best with what you have. <laughs> I, I really wasn't... I wasn't... I, I even set it up so that you, you wouldn't do that, but you couldn't let it go, could you? <laughs> okay, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying don't, don't fix up, okay? What, what, what I'm... Can we... Oh, God, could we rewind... Let me just come at this again. Um, let me say it this way, ladies. Don't let your physical appearance be your total preoccupation. Rather, what the Scripture says, adorn yourself with the things that make you beautiful on the inside. And I got to tell you, ladies, it's amazing how beautiful God can make you in the eyes of your husband when he comes home to a woman, this is in your notes, who has adorned herself with what Jesus says makes her beautiful in his eyes. 1 Timothy 2.10 talks about a woman with godliness, with good works. <laughs> 
That's what's beautiful in his eyes. She becomes to her husband. When you focus on those inward qualities, she becomes to her husband the most beautiful woman in the world. Not because of what she looks like, but because of who she is. You're a bride, ladies. You're a bride to your husband, and yet that's simply a picture of the fact that you are a bride to your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And ladies, Satan would love to do anything that he can do to get you to miss the significance of this aspect of your assignment. And the key point here is one of Satan's key strategies against the family is to entice women to find their esteem by emphasizing the externals rather than the internals. And I think that might be your last blank, but tr try to resist the urge to pack up because I'm, I'm, I'm within 60 seconds of being done. I, look at that, that key point again, emphasizing the externals rather than the internals. And I got to tell you, in the 21st century, man, there is a real temptation toward that. And in light of God's instruction to you from this passage that we're, we're looking at here in 1 Peter 3, you know, I, I would suggest to you, ladies, that you make it a point to always spend more time time on a daily basis on the inside of you than you do the outside of you. Spend more time with Jesus than you spend at the gym. Spend more time with Jesus than you do in front of the mirror. Let him adorn the inside of you rather than you adorning the outside of you. Are, you. are you hearing that? And, and again, I, I'm not, I, I, I really am not saying that you shouldn't fix up. Not at all. I'm just saying there's a real temptation to make that what you emphasize and wonder why it is. that your man seems so disconnected. I'm telling you, when you have those inward qualities, there's something, if he's a godly man, there's something strangely beautiful in his eyes when he looks at you and sees you with the character of Christ. And, okay. Well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I do say that in, in jest. That's, that's a lot, y'all. It'll probably take us another year <laughs> to get all of that into our life. And uh, I, I don't know, uh, I don't want to presume on your pastor, but whoever comes and does the next marriage conference, man, let's, let's get more stuff and, and let's move on. Um, as I said, there's seven biblical responsibilities of a husband. 
There's seven biblical responsibilities of a wife. But man, you can get overwhelmed with it all. So hey, take what you have gleaned in this conference and do that. And I promise you, if you'll just do the things we've talked about, it, it, you, you got plenty to transform your your life and plenty to transform your marriage. And uh, and so, listen, I thank you for your attentiveness, the way that you guys hunger for the Word. Uh, Pastor Dave, this is a blessing for me to be able to, to come. Thank you for sharing your pulpit with an old geezer. And... Uh, and, uh, and you guys, uh, again, may I just commend you for finding this church and this pastor and his wife. Uh, this, is a, this is an awesome place, and I know God's going to do incredible things. And, man, it will be on steroids if the men in this room picture Christ and the women in this room picture the church. Yellow. Are you glad you made the commitment to come? Yeah. And you know what? I'm telling you, next year we're gonna we're gonna we're do our very best to get brother uh, Pastor Mark back here if we can. I'm, I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna try to, to swing that. But let's help talk to folks that we know need to be here, right? There are families that we know right now that are in crisis that are not in this room, and they were invited to come. 